Um, I may have forgotten earlier. Uh, my name is OJ. I'm the minister here. If you're new or visiting again, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, I mean, you've picked a really great week to join us because, uh, as I said, we are starting on a new series this summer, and we are studying James with each other. And we're going to spend the next several weeks of this summer going through James. Um, chapter by chapter, working through it. And what's really cool, it's a shorter book, so we'll be able to spend a little bit more time with pieces of that. And so the first part of today, I just wanted to set up why we chose James. Why are we doing James this summer? And talk a little bit about the book, a little bit about the writer, so we kind of get a bigger picture of James as we're getting ready to start this season. So why did we pick this book of James? It's five chapters. It's sort of situated here at the end of the Bible. It's a really short book. Like I said, uh, you can read it all in about 20 minutes. We sat around with the staff one day and just read it aloud. And even with fast readers and slow readers and everything else. It was still under 20 minutes to go through the whole thing. So why did we choose this particular book in the Bible to spend time with? Uh, one is it's really practical. So James is a really short but practical book, and it is filled with a lot of really practical things that we can do. In fact, um, in, in their commentary, Karen Job said that the book of James has a greater frequency of imperatives than any other book in the New Testament considering its length. So it has a lot of things that you're supposed to do, a lot of action words, and so it's something we should pay attention to. If there's more things per word in here of, of imperatives that we're supposed to do, we should look and pay attention. Um, another reason is because it is a picture of what life can look like under God, following Jesus, and together is the church in unity. A big part of what James focuses on is the church in unity, which I love. That's, this is a, a season in life in, in, our, uh, in the midst of all this where disunity is kind of the flavor of where people uh, can focus on all the things that separate us. And James says, no, let's focus on the things that bring us together. Let's be united as a church of followers of Jesus. Um, one of the biggest reasons, though, that we chose James, chose this short book, is because we really want to build a love and a habit of reading Scripture amongst the church, amongst all of us. Um, this is, like I said, this is a short and quick to read, but it's not necessarily easy. Uh, this is a book of wisdom literature, and wisdom literature often forces us to slow down. It's not always just words that it, or you take at face value. There's often sayings. There's often things that are true about life that we have to unpack a little bit. So though it's short and easy to read, it also forces us to slow down. But we want you to build a habit of reading and, and loving Scripture, of being able to approach it to be able to change your life. And many of you already do this. That's a part of your daily life. Uh, but for some of us, it is not. I know for me that the discipline of reading Scripture is not nearly as easy as the love of it. I, I do love it. When I get in the Scripture, I love being there. I love spending time in it. But the discipline of doing it day after day is one of the things that I struggle with. Um, there are parts of my life that I'm really disciplined in, and this is one of those areas where I go through seasons of it. And I know that there's many of us that are like that. Um, I think reading scripture can be a little bit like weight training or, or going to the gym. Um, uh, you know, some of you may or may not know this, but I, I, I go to the gym. I know it doesn't always, it's not readily apparent all of the time, um, but it is something that I enjoy doing. It's a great, it's a habit that I really enjoy doing. It's a discipline of going there. But recently I've added some weight training in there. My doctor said, hey, if you want to get your numbers right, this would be a great thing you could add in there. And so I started doing that. Um, and if you've ever lifted weights, you may know that after the first day, life is not really enjoyable. Um, Many of you know this because I complained to you about it for several days. Um, I may have asked you questions like, will my body ever work again? Um, is this normal? Uh, I know my wife got really tired of me not being able to do stuff around the house. Um, but what was really interesting is, I, I, of course, I went to the internet because that's the arbiter of all good information. Um, and I went on there, and, every, and everybody asked, said, what do I need to do? They're like, you need to go back to the gym, and you need to do it again. It'll get better, and things will get And, and they were right. So go back, do it. 
gets better and better. And of course, now there's no soreness. Now you get to enjoy it. And the same thing I think can happen with reading scripture. The first time when it's not a habit, when it is not a discipline, it can be a bit painful, especially if you choose a book that's hard to get into. I, I know uh, working with students over time and people, a lot of times the f- first book people want to read is Revelation. They want to get into the really exciting stuff. And you read about a page of it, you're like, okay, I'm done. Or they start way back in the Old Testament, they get through about two pages of laws and like they hang it up. And as we were talking about it, someone made the great point that a lot of times we get into a place where all we do is the first day of weightlifting. You, you read the first little bit and it hurts and you're sore and you never get to the enjoyable part. So sometimes it takes a little bit more of the repetitive action of doing it. So we wanted to create something that was here, pick something that was shorter and easier to get into that you can get in that repetitive habit so you can get past that first part of soreness and into the part of really enjoying what's happening. Um, and then we're also in this season as a church where we've been looking at what does it mean for the church to be on mission together? We've spent this whole semester of looking what does it mean to be on mission, living this out together. So we started uh, way back and kind of taking a look at that. Most recently, we did NICER. We took a look at social justice issues and things that are facing the church and in our world. And James tackles a lot of these. Uh, when Zach was here and preaching, um, Zach said during the NICER series that over and over again, the Bible connects a heart saved by grace alone with a heart that responds to the poor and injustice. According to the Bible, they are one and the same. So James doesn't spend a lot of time talking about grace. And it's actually a book that I have not spent a lot of time with either because I tend to fall back into the Gospels. I love reading those over and over again and spending time with Jesus and being really richly enwrapped in this idea of grace. And James understands grace. He's not foreign to him, but he talks about what does it look like of a life lived in response to this grace. What does it then look like to live this out together? And then we want to be able to slow down, not to just better understand what God is teaching, but so that we can rightly apply it. So that's kind of a background of how we picked James. So who is James? In this book of James, who is he? He's most likely the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus had four brothers that are recorded. Um, We find in Mark chapter 6 that James uh, was not a believer in Jesus during the time of his ministry. It records that um, he didn't believe him. Um, I can imagine having an older brother or a brother who is Jesus would be hard to want to do anything he does. If any of you have siblings, it is probably a challenge to go when Jesus does everything right and maybe you don't always do everything right. And like that might have been a barrier for him during his lifetime. Or when your brother says, I'm the son of God. Sometimes that can be hard to understand until later on, but we find out that James actually becomes a very uh, devoted follower of Jesus, that he becomes a leader of the church. Um, in, in Acts 12, 17, we see that after Peter left the church in Acts, that, uh, that James ends up taking over, that he is one of the, the leaders of the early church. And then in 682 AD, that he was martyred, that he gave his life for the cause uh, under the emperor Nero. Um, and it's not only recorded in the book of Acts, but also through the Jewish historian Josephus. So we have some great record of who James was. Not only that, uh, this book was written probably in the 40s. It's one of the earliest New Testament books written. So it was written while there were still eyewitnesses of Jesus still alive. So that's one of those things where the credibility part, this was written to people that were actually there, that were present in the midst of all of this. Who is it written to? So it's a good question as we sort of start a book, as we kind of get a bigger picture. Who is this written to? So this was written to Jewish Christians. They were, in the very first part of this in James 1, it says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. So it was written to Jewish Christians that had been scattered during the diaspora. Uh, They had left their Jewish homeland and been scattered throughout the Roman Empire. This was a season where people had been sent and scattered. They were away from their normal places. They had been moved out. 
life is difficult. This is not the life they had expected. This is not looking the way that they thought with this promised land where they were going to be together in unity. They had been sent out and scattered. And not only could they be physically scattered into different places that they were not familiar with, but many of them could have been scattered if they had converted to being a follower of Jesus. They could have been separated from their family and from the things that they had known their whole life. James is a pastor to a broad range of people going through trials. This is written to people in the midst of trials. This scatteredness is part of the trial that they are facing. It's also written uh, to a group of people who, and, and with the purpose being unity, because they are scattered, because they are sent out, because life looks different. James wants to unify them around a common cause. He wants to give them instructions of what does it then look like to be unified with one another. Though you may be scattered in different places, though you may be there, what does it look like to then live out life together? Um, one thing that I found really helpful um, when reading this is not to just read the yous as you personally. Uh, and we talk about this often when reading scripture. It can be really easy to go, everything is so personal. Everything is me, one-on-one. And I think that's a part of our Western culture as well. We tend to think it's very personal. But what's very helpful is to also read this through and go, you all, or y'all if you're from the South. Um, but uh, it's a really helpful way to read this. And an example here is that in verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. It's really helpful to read it as consider a pure joy, my brothers, when you, fate, when you all face trials of many kinds, because you all know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So written to groups, it's very clear that he's writing it to groups of people here. And so sometimes when you're reading it, and it's been fun having a shorter book where you can do that, where you can reread it, putting all the y'all in there, the group, sometimes make these things more rich to be able to pull out the meaning that it was written to these groups of people. What does it then look like together? So what kind of book is James then? Uh, Karen Jobes in her commentary says, The book of James stands squarely in the tradition of Jewish wisdom literature, for it is clearly concerned with living wisely in God's kingdom announced by Jesus Christ, which emerged as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. James begins his letter by inviting those who lack wisdom when facing trials to seek it from God in verse 1-5, for in James's conceptual universe, only God is the source of true wisdom. This is often referred to as a New Testament Proverbs because it is a collection of wisdom sayings. It's an epistle. It's a letter. It's written to a group of people. It's not necessarily written to a particular place or a particular group, a particular church, as some of the other letters are, but more to groups of people. It's more of a broad and general letter that would have been read to different people at different times. One thing that's uh, been really helpful to you is as you are reading this, as we want to build uh, this love and this habit of reading Scripture— Part of what is on us is, is we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to be able to give and imbue wisdom in the midst of reading that. But there's also tools that we need to have accessible to be able to do this because there are different kinds of Scripture. There are different kinds of uh, teachings in Scripture as well. There's a book in the lobby that if you ever want to pick it up or order it on Amazon, it's really helpful. It's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. It's written by Stuart and Fee. It does a great job of saying when you approach a, a text, how then should you pull that apart? And it's not, it's not dense. It's a very easy read. It's a great book. It's very practical on how to do it, but I'm going to give you the cliff notes of that real quick before we get into James, so we have a little bit of a framework for how then to approach these different types of Scripture. So there's different kinds of statements that are within Scripture, and understanding those will help, because James actually contains all of these different kinds. And so having an idea of what these different kinds are before you get in there can help as you piece through it. So here are the different kinds. First, there are promises. There are promises that are written in Scripture that are always true. Uh, one of those, Romans 8:38. nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That is a promise. Nothing, not ever, not one thing can separate you from the love of Christ. That is a promise that will be true no matter the circumstances, no matter what is happening in life. That is a promise that is true. Then there are laws. 
Luke 10, 27 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. No matter when or where you are to do this, no matter the situation you find yourself in, no matter what it is, that is a law. That is something that you do. Whether you're in a good season or a bad season, whether life is on the up or down, that is something that you're commanded to do. Love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's an action to be executed. There are no conditions placed on a law. And then there are commands, and commands look a little bit different than laws. Um, they are things that we're supposed to do, but they may have a different cultural context. One of those, if you find in 1 Corinthians, says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, if you were to have walked in the door this morning, and the first thing that happened is someone sort of grabbed your face and kissed you, and you're not maybe in another culture, that would have been really off-putting, especially if it's your first time here. Imagine you'd be back in your car right away, and that would not be somewhere you want to be, and I wouldn't blame you. That would send me running. I'm not a hugger or a toucher, so a kiss would have been really. But the command is to be hospitable to one another. The command, the idea behind that is to be warm and welcoming to one another, to be, uh, have a spirit of hospitality. So it, the difference between a command and a law is the, the cultural context that it sits in. We have still something we are supposed to do. We are still to greet one another, but that particular action may not live up to what we want it to do. It's on us to understand scripture well. It's part of what God has trusted us with when he leaves us this to us. He wants us to be able to take this and understand that this has not been given to obfuscate. This has not been given to confuse us or to make us want to stop working with it. It is made for us to want to love and live through it. And so having these pieces can help us as we approach these. Now, one of the things that we find a lot in James are Proverbs. And Proverbs are general aphorisms about the way that life is. Um, sometimes they can contradict themselves. In, in the Old Testament Proverbs, it'll sometimes say one thing and then say the opposite right afterwards. And that doesn't mean that it's trying to contradict itself. It's trying to make you think, trying to make you slow down enough to think about what it's actually saying and put that in your head so that you can have time with it and understand it. Um, wisdom uh, sometimes takes groups and community to discern. Wisdom literature sometimes it can't just be figured out on our own. Wisdom literature sometimes forces us to go to another, to another person and say, what does this mean? How does this live out? What does this look like in our life? And to discuss it, to be able to work through it together. And a wise reader takes time to understand. And James is filled with all of these different kinds. So all that to say, that's sort of our setup in the James. So today we're going to be looking at James uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. So I'd invite you and encourage you to follow along in this. If you have your Bible with you, if you have your phone Bible, if you have, it's also on your bulletin. But I think this would be a really helpful thing to do is to be in a habit this summer of bringing something with you or, or picking up the bulletin with you to be able to follow this along. And this will be a piece of building this discipline is to actually have it in front of you. Uh, so as I mentioned, James, if you're, if you're finding it towards the back here, and we're going to be looking at James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. So hear these words from James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. 
For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth to the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. This is God's word. So this is a picture of how things work and what we should do as followers of Jesus. And verses 9 through 11 are a really important piece of this that talk about how we treat the poor. And we'll be covering this more in chapter 2. So we're going to spend the rest of our time focusing on all but that section today. And James really starts this off with a bang. James really lays it out there as he begins his letter. And he says, when trials come. Not if. Not if you face trials not if things happen in your life that don't go the way you expect, when trials come. And he then goes into how to face them in the light of the risen Christ. What does it then look like to face these trials and the truth that Jesus has risen and his followers of him? And not just to face them, but to face them with joy. Uh, He indicates to us that we have a choice when we are facing trials of how we will face them, that we have an opportunity to choose joy and how we will then respond. Here, we find uh, the first command. It's an imperative that is here at the very beginning, choose joy. And this isn't a delusional smile that we smack on our face when things are hard. This isn't a faking it through life so that things look like it's all together, but a real, honest-to-goodness joy that comes from looking to what God will do through the trials if we are surrendered to it by who God is. Now, our temptation can be to doubt, to pull away, to shut down, Uh, Maybe to not actually deal with reality, to go and and, and disappear from it all. But we're told right away from the very beginning uh, that God is bigger than the challenge. And the best can show up through these trials because of who God is and because it develops perseverance, which then makes us mature. It starts with this idea that the root of joy is nearness with the one who contains joy. I'll say that again. This whole book of James starts with this idea that the root of joy is nearness with the one who contains joy. I imagine as James wrote this, being the brother of Jesus, as he is leading the church, as he is thinking about the people that he's pastoring, I can just imagine him thinking back to Jesus when he was quoted as saying, I'm the good shepherd. I have a good plan for you. I am near you always. I'm the one who will lead you to good things. And James knows this. He knows this is true about him. And he tells his people, this is what can happen when you draw near to this one during your trials. And that the end result of all of this is wisdom. That the whole concept of this book is the end result of this will be wisdom that is produced from God in the midst of all of this. So James really starts with this question. With one of the big fundamental questions that we have to wrestle with. This is one of the ones that we have to wrestle with individually for the rest of it to make sense. And the question is, is God trustworthy? Can we trust him? Um, You know, these last few weeks, we've been sitting in this idea of remembering 
uh, a couple of weeks ago as we were walking through Isaiah, as we were doing the Nice Serve series, uh, we were talking about this idea that God had come to remind his people of who they were within him, of what he had created them to be, to remember who he was so that they could remember who they were. And not just this casual remember when that can lock us into the past that Chad mentioned last week, but an actual remembering that then drives us into the future. Uh, last week, Chad mentioned and talked about this, the Ebenezer, the idea of creating memorials that help us remember during the times and the trials of the times that God was faithful to us. And today, James uh, tells us to remember that God is faithful and good. We see in verse 17 that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. And I love this language. Listen to this. Who does not change like shifting shadows. Though that is not easy to say, um, this vivid image of shifting shadows. He's, God is not one who flits and fleets about. He is one who is solid. He does not change. So from the very beginning, James reminds us that God is a faithful God. So we start with the question of trust. And if you can answer that, and if you can sit in that question and say, do I trust God? Do I really trust God? And if you can answer that and sit in the truth that God is trustworthy, then James then informs us how to live lives that reflect that. They are not always, uh, they're not ways just to make things right with God. James can often be seen as doing things to be made right with God, and that is a false interpretation of that. James is not saying if you do these things, then you will be made right with God. James is a reflection. If things are right with God, if you are in relation with him, if you trust who Jesus is, if you believe that God is trustworthy and live under that truth, this is a reflection of what that life then lived out looks like. So James was a pastor. He saw where people were. He has a heart for them. And, and he knows that they're spread apart, that they're separated. And so he writes this. So their current reality is trials and temptations. From the very beginning, he says they have been separated, written to those who are separated. He knows that their current reality is trials and temptations, that life is hard. And I just want to take a moment um, because I know that for some of you, you walk in the door this morning and that is your actual current and present reality that somehow you made it into the doors this morning. You're maybe not even quite sure how you got here. You just knew this is the place you're supposed to be today. You knew that showing up around people was the right next step. And you weren't sure what that means, but you knew that this is where you had to get because right now life is really hard. And as James and his pastoral letter to his people shared them, I want to give you the same hope that he gives them is to just keep going. Keep going. Another breath, another step, another day. And a part of what James here is reminding them is to keep going. He, he takes time, and this would be my encouragement to you too, is to try to remember the times that God has been faithful in your life. And, and if you're in such a season that you can't see that for yourself, if you are in such a season where the waves are crashing over and you can't tell up from down and, and things don't make sense, that's okay. That's a reality. That is a place where we find ourselves. Throughout the Psalms, we see over and over again, as David writes, that there are times where life is upside down, when things are in disorder and things don't make sense. So if you can't find that for yourself, hear that through thousands of years, God has continued his faithfulness to his people. Over and over and over again, God shows up. When his people have been unfaithful, when his people walk away, God continues to show up. God continues to be faithful. He does not a shifting shadow. He is a constant presence. And if you can't find the place in your life, get around people who can remind you of those places in your life. Whether that's a family member, maybe it's a person sitting next to you today that can remind you of times in your life that God showed up. If you can't get to it yourself, find ways that you can. And then I, I would encourage you to do this. In verse five, 
It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. Pray for wisdom. You may not get an answer. You may not get the answer that you want or an answer at all, but God can provide the wisdom to keep going. God can remind you that he is near because the current reality, though you are facing in trials and temptations, the current reality is also that God is present. God has not left you. God has not gone away. God is still present in the midst of them. I remember one of the most helpful things that I had ever done. I was uh, um, in a season of life where things weren't going the way that I thought they would. Uh, I had ended a long run with the ministry that I was working on. I didn't know what was next. There was a bad breakup. There was uh, finances were all over the place. It was a season where things weren't working. I remember being out in Colorado and I was taking a class and part of the, the exercise in this class was to chart our life. So he took a piece of paper and he said, mark kind of the highs and the lows of your life. And I remember taking that piece of paper and going, uh, when my great grandparents died in seventh grade and then having a conversation with uh, my friend Danielle in high school being the first time that I shared my faith. And then the season of life where things aren't working and, and it was up and down. You know, there's all these places, these, these valleys where things seem so lost, these peaks where everything seemed so great. I remember getting together with this other guy, Jim, who was kind of in a similar season of life we're talking through. And we come back to class. He says, now take that same picture and draw a line across the top, a horizontal line that goes across the whole thing and write God on there. And I remember looking and the place where God seemed at his peak, the place where God seemed the biggest, the place where God seemed most God-like for those times when I was at the bottom. Because in those places, though God had not moved, though my situation had, he had the opportunity to move through them. And being able to see this picture of my life and who God was throughout all of it was so helpful to remember back on. Because we have to remember his faithfulness, to be empowered to move forward. Remembering doesn't lock us into the past. It doesn't keep us locked into this thing. Remembering well gives us the opportunity to then move forward and to take the next step. And remembering his faithfulness for me allowed me to take the next step. And that next step wasn't necessarily a big, grandiose step. It was just one more step. And six months later is another step. And finally, here we are. Because taking step after step and just taking the next right step of whatever the door that God was opening next and, and continuing to go on allowed him to continue that work. And then keep going. Because this produces perseverance, which will make you mature and complete. One of the purposes of James, one of his hopes for us as followers of Jesus is to be made mature and complete. It's really, I love that language, the idea of being mature and complete in him. Um, I, I love spending time around people that inspire me. Um, and, and there are a lot. I have been fortunate to be around a lot of people that have inspired me over time. And you know, um, in my life, I, I love Instagram and Facebook. I love seeing your lives. But I don't need any of those lives that are actually live day to day. Like, I don't need any more Instagram lives in my life, right? Like, I don't need people that are just always, like, at the top of their game and everything's going great because there's something not quite real about that, right? We kind of give our snapshot of what we want everybody to think life looks like. But life is, 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 can be drudgery. Life can be one step at a time. Life is real. Life is ups and downs and every bit of it. And I love to spend time with people that inspire me. And those people that inspire me are often ones who faced trials and made it through. They're often ones who have actually been willing to open up the hard parts of their life and say, you know, this, this is what real life looks like. And this is what happened. And this is what is going on. I think about one of the people that I really enjoy spending time with is my friend, Mac. Some of you may know him. Mac is, lives around town. Um, Mac has grown up with um, some different challenges in his life. He had a trach when he was really young. He's got some different uh, issues. And Mac... Um, is not someone to be take pity on. Mac does not ex accept pity. Mac is a real life person. He's a 3D person. And Mac, when we get together, is willing to share 
that there are times in his life when he's depressed. There are times in his life when it's really hard. There are times in his life when things aren't working out. There are times in his life that things are just bad. But he's also willing to say there are times in life that are really good and there's joys and there's highs and there's lows and there's every part of life and we're able to have real conversations about it. And yet he perseveres and continues on and day after day. And Mac has spoken in front of tens of thousands of people. Mac has had the opportunity to share his story over and over again because that's who God has created in the big. Mac has a real story. And that's an inspiring story because he continues to go. That's what's inspiring in the midst of that. And there are so many of you that have stories that are like that. I need more gritty, real stories in my life with people that have made through it. Because when we face trials, like I said, we have an opportunity of how we'll respond. We can choose joy or we can choose a lot of other things. And one of the things that's so easy to choose in the midst of that is bitterness. And it's easy to let that continue on and the trials can force us to become more and more bitter. I don't spend time just with people who've been through trials. Those are not necessarily people that inspire me, people that have been through trials. It's people that have made it through the trials and have found joy in the midst of it. Not just found joy, but have chosen joy in the midst of that. That's what draws me to them. That's what draws me to so many of your stories because you've been through really hard things. There are people to your left and your right that have been through parts and seasons of life that you would never choose for yourself. And yet they've made it. And they've chosen joy in the midst of that. And there's something different about them. When you're around those people, and I know you know what that's like. I know you know those people when you think about them. People that have been through those really hard parts, but their life looks very different. They found joy. They've chosen joy in the midst of it. And their life looks different because they have found the source of joy. They have leaned into the one who contains joy. They have found and drawn near to God and to Jesus throughout that. And their life is different. The parts of my story that intersect with people, the parts when I'm sitting down at lunch and having conversations with people are not the places where everything is great. They're not the awesome adventures. Those are fun, and they're not the, the great, funny moments. It's really when we get real and we're able to say, no, this is, this is hard. Like This is what life is really like. That's where life comes together in the midst of that. When we go, but God is still present in that, and you keep going. So What happens? when we persevere and become mature and become complete. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. What a vivid image. The crown of life that is promised from the Lord. This is what happens when we as individuals stand strong and persevere the crown of life. We are given life and more life. Jesus said he came to give us life and life to the full. And he promises that life to us if we persevere. But then what happens when we, when we as a church, as a community, as a a gathering of people together, persevere and become complete? Verse 18. He chose to give his birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The first fruits of all he created, this idea, this image of new birth, a new hope. Together, uh, we reflect better than any of us can on our own. We, together, as the church, as followers of him, this letter that he's writing to this group of people that he's writing still to us today, we become the image bearers of truth and new life. Um, Trials in and of themselves don't produce nearness to Jesus. Trials in and of themselves don't create joy. Trials in and of themselves don't change us for the better. Trials lived out with Jesus 
trials that draw us to draw nearer to God, trials that drive us to our knees, trials that force us to come and, and answer the questions, God trustworthy, and I'm gonna stick with him, and I'm gonna draw nearer to him. That's what changes life and produces joy. That's what happens in the midst of this. It is not the trials in and of themselves. It is who the trials drive us to. That is what can change our life. This morning, uh, we're gonna continue our worship by the taking of communion. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up on stage and they're gonna lead us in worship in just a few moments. But one of the ways that we remember so that we can move forward is the table of remembrance, the communion table. Uh, We are reminded that Jesus gave his life so that we may have hope, so that we can persevere, so that we can know and be reminded that God is trustworthy. And we come to the table so we can remember to move forward. This is a table of remembrance. It reminds us of the ultimate act that God went through to send his son to give his life for us, the ultimate faithfulness, the fact that God never left us, that he drew so near to us, that he lived life on this earth, that he knew what our life would look like, that he came here to be with us and gave his son so that we may have new life. But this table that we will be coming to every week this summer is part of the series in in, um, in James, as part of the study. Every week we'll take communion as part of our worship because this table is also a table of repentance. Um, James, though easy to read, is also very challenging because oftentimes our lives don't look like the life that James lays out there. There are parts of it that you will wrestle with and that I will wrestle with that will cause us to ask some good and hard and challenging questions of ourselves. It will show in parts of our life that we're not living the way that God hopes that we might. We may not look together the way he hopes that we would. And this becomes a table where we're able to come forward and to repent to him, to be able to take the time to give that to him and say, uh, and ask forgiveness and, and know that the same faithful God will meet us there in the midst of that repentance and offer us a chance to go one more step and to go another day, whether that's facing the trials or whether that's trying to live this new life uh, and this that he has set out for us and what does it look like. So this morning, In a moment, um, the band is going to lead us in worship. And as you're ready, uh, you'll come forward. And this table is not Summit's table. This is God's table. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are a follower of him, uh, you are welcome to this table. Um, If you want to take some time, if this is a table of repentance for you this morning, you need to take some time where you are, that's okay. We've got some time to do that. But as you're prepared, you'll come up to one of these three stations. And if you miss it, if you take so much time and you don't get a chance to come up, just find one of myself afterwards. I'm happy to do that. And and we can do that off to the side later if you need some extra time. But you'll come forward and there'll be folks at each of these stations. Uh, Someone will have a basket of bread and you'll take a piece of bread out of the basket and they'll say, the body of Christ is broken for you. Then there'll be a person there uh, with cups. One is labeled wine and the other is juice. And you'll dip that piece of bread in there, and they'll say, the blood of Christ shed for you, and then you can partake of that element and return to your seat. Uh, the station to your left and my far right is a, um, is a gluten-free option, if that's helpful for you. But as you're prepared, come forward. Remember that God is a faithful God. God set this meal up to remind us that he will meet us here, that he has never left us, that through all the trials and the perseverance of life, that this is the table he will continue to meet us at. And this morning, if this is a table of repentance for you as it is, Uh, for myself and all of us as we really take a look at our life, God will continue to forgive and continue to meet. This morning, I invite you to partake in communion with us.